Know the Source on One Radio Network. I want to have our little logo to start the show so when they go and bit shoot, you can see it. Good morning. Don't mind me. I'm just trying to figure out my life. This is Patrick Tim, well, <laughs> Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. The 3rd of May, a little bit after 10 o'clock Central Time on the first Wednesday of the month. We are delighted to have a good friend who I've known for a long time, the farmer, former partner of Andrew Goss in the real world of money and uh, uh, the author of uh, several books and uh, a very close friend with, uh, with Fred Dashevsky, who is now the head guy at U.S. Coin Capital with an O, and he's here on the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, today, after we wrap up with Fred, we're going to have a little one-on-one, and we'll be speaking several things, including what I see as a really deep spiritual thing going on with this cancel culture and what these people are trying to do to you and me. Yeah, I, I figured it out. So we're going to talk about that and some other things. So that's it. Our phone lines are still out. Um, you know, it's uh, working on two months, but don't get me started. So we do emails today, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. And in the great state of South Carolina. South Carolina. South Carolina is Fred Deshevsky. Good morning, Freddie. Good morning, Patrick. How you doing? Good, good. We're well doing well down here in the South. Yeah, down in the South, Southland. So I had uh, uh, a fellow on, Tom Luongo. He's on pretty regularly, uh, every few months with us, and not as regular as you, but he, he said that the last time he was on that he was never – never, ever more bullish on gold than he is today. I mean, he's just really feisty about this gold and metal. How how you feel? How, yeah, how you feel. I mean, you've been at this a long time. You've seen gold I have. do everything. Anything really going on with the in the bulls arena? Well, you know, I'd say the biggest uh, probably promoter of gold right now has got to be the broadening awareness of the problem with the U.S. dollar. So, you know, the advent of all the technology of uh, information being more accessible <clears throat> has led to the American public, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. becoming, wow, we're starting off well here today. <laughs> okay, right. hold on. Have a little sip of Joe. You'll be fine. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Okay. So, um, I, I think a lot more people have uh, been aware of what's been happening with the U.S. dollar simply because the news media has been covering it so extensively, and there are several prongs to the problem. Uh, coming into the uh, beginning of the year, we've been facing the debt limit situation and the mm-hmm. fact that the government was spending money at an ever-increasing pace. That was rather alarming. You know, as news came out about the interest payments and the Fed raising rates and causing it rates to go up, that was a problem. Then we, of course, had a banking issue situation last month. That was a problem. And yesterday, uh, that was a problem. Yesterday. <laughs> so... You know, it's interesting. They say history doesn't repeat itself, but maybe it hiccups or maybe it, you know, uh, (laughs) it it stutters. I don't know how to put it, but I was reviewing something from 1907. There was this amazing money, amazing, I call it amazing. It was, you know, uh, a fascinating piece of history, the money panic of 1907. Mm -hmm. But the resolution (laughs) of that was that the banking industry had become so unstable uh, that they actually went to the top banker in the day. And that was... Uh, John P. Prop Morgan and J.P. Morgan. Oh, good old J.P. Good for him. He was yeah, right, good old J.P. He was right there to save the day, right? <laughs> he was. You know, he had his offices down there on Wall Street. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the 
biggest bankers in the in the country actually went down and visited him at his office and said, "Listen, we need your advice, we need your counsel, and we need your money. So, uh, <laughs> you know, please help us out." And he orchestrated uh, an entire banking bailout that resolved the problem of 1907, which eventually led to the Federal Reserve Act and the system of the Federal Reserve coming into existence. But what was interesting to me was that the panic in 1907, you know, was fundamentally a, a speculation of real estate and stocks that was just way overblown because of the same problem we've experienced both in 2008 and recently, which was cheap money being available for too long. So I lay the problems of the economy right now on the footsteps of the Federal Reserve for having kept rates too low for too long, which we know from economics teaches us that it creates asset bubbles. And we've had these bubbles explode. And when they do, it creates massive volatility. So in the panic of 07, it was JP Morgan that resolved the problem. Recently, we've had what I would now call the new JP Morgan, and that is Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon. Who has now basically become the go-to guy. Uh, you know, he orchestrated the bailout of First Republic. He orchestrated the bailout of uh, two or three of the, of the banks that were failing by gathering together a group of his cronies. His boys, his friends. Say that, boys. <laughs> and said, you know, we'll put up billions of dollars of our own personal money, as J.P. Morgan did in 1907. Excuse me a second. Uh, this was personal money that J. Jamie put up? Well, I thought it was uh, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan, yeah. it came from the company. Okay, all right. So, you know, I call it personal money as opposed to, for example, uh, coming from a financial institution or a government institution. This was a private bailout. Uh, in other words, had he decided as, uh, as CEO of J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley and these guys decided to do this collectively, this was a private enterprise that decided that they wanted to help out the financial system. And I think the intent was <clears throat> they wanted to see the financial problem stop and mm -hmm. not spread and become, you know, let's call it panic mode where mm -hmm. everybody became suspicious. The more I talk to people the past couple of weeks, the more this conversation has come up. And I haven't heard this before where people are now really worried about their banks. And they're all kind of, sure. you know, one person I spoke to this morning said she literally walked into her bank and she said, hey, are you familiar with Basel 3? And do you know what's going on? And they didn't. And she's worried that because they don't understand this stuff, perhaps they're not managing her money properly. But suspicions about the banking industry seem to be a very large problem leading to the movement yeah. in gold. And yesterday was was quite a day with just the regional banks. You see the bank stocks of these regional banks. Yeah. Somebody was killed. in there shorting them, right? Somebody was in there playing around, right? Some, well, that wasn't I can understand an accident. that. That wasn't an accident. Not at all. So uh, <laughs> I think I said this at one point, you know, this is sort of like uh, all the bankers were standing out in the ocean and <laughs> the water was waist high and now the water's receding and we're trying to find out who's still wearing pants. Yeah. So... Everybody is getting very suspicious and digging deep now into their bank status. And nobody was paying attention to this stuff six months ago. You know, nobody was really looking at, you know, how, how is my bank? Where are the assets held? What have they done? And in a couple of cases of these major failures, like Silicon Valley and First Republic, it's turning out to have been bad decisions made by those in power at the bank by holding bad assets or assets that they should have done something with when rates began to go up again not to point the finger at the Federal Reserve. Do I have 10 fingers? Here we go. They're all pointing at the Federal Reserve. <laughs> but but, but uh, to be fair, though, these banks that bought all of these treasury debt when it was really mm -hmm. low, right, 
Um, th- they bought it on the assumption, didn't they, Fred Dushevsky, that th- this, these the rates were going to stay low for a long time. Well, they didn't, right. and now all of this stuff is not worth what it on their books, right? So, right. So, isn't the big problem? That That's the, the big case. problem. You know, let's say that was the case. So, you're a bank, and you're now uh, responsible to deal with all of the deposits that you've been acquiring. Right. First of all, the banks that are having problems also had one other similar characteristic. They also were paying higher than normal rates to gain depositors' funds. So where the street was paying 3%, they were offering 4%. Just to get in money order in the to door. get people to give them money. Okay. All right. As it turns out, hmm. a lot of the bankers' pay is tied to the amount they get in deposits each quarter. Oh, good. I see. So they have a vested incentive to try to get more depositors because they make a lot more money. Okay. So how are they going to encourage people to put deposits into the bank when the bank yields are pathetic? Well, they offered interest rates higher than what government yields were or what other banking institutions were paying. And several of these banks did this by a good full point over the current market rates and successfully gained hundreds of billions of dollars worth of new depositor funds into their accounts. I see. Hmm, interesting. Then they use those funds to buy these treasury securities and didn't account for the fact that the Fed would continue to aggressively raise rates. I think they probably either expected the rate hikes to be less than they turned out to be or not shorter lived than they turned out to be further out or further down the road or something further down the line or perhaps the fed would reverse them under the pretense again of fighting off a potential recession that this slight rate hike we'd gotten maybe wouldn't last for very long and the fed would begin to unwind that and go backward but 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 these people have been around the block a little bit they've got to know that these zero interest rate low interest rate things are not going to go on forever. I mean, I don't understand why you would pile in at 1%. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me either, unless, again, (laughs) they just didn't kind of catch on to the idea that the Fed would continue to have to raise rates. It it must have been that they anticipated the inflation problem was, as the Fed had put it, transitory, and that it was going to dissipate on its own, and that the Fed would, again, not have to continue to push the rates higher and higher and higher. So they kept saying, well, the rates are up another quarter point. That's okay. Well, they went up another half a point. Well, okay, that's all right. Well, Christ, it's up another half a point and another half a point. Now we're stuck a little bit. And at that point, there should have been a fundamental decision to start unwinding some of these assets on but the balance they sheets. They didn't, right? But they didn't. They stuck it out. And I, I think that they were hoping that the Fed would reverse this situation fast enough and that they did not anticipate any massive refund withdrawals coming from their customer base for any particular reason in the short term. So they figured they could ride out the storm. It was a very risky decision. And, you know, risk in finances can pay off or it can blow up in your face. And in this case, it blew up in their face and now they're stuck. And as soon as this started to happen, you know, as we talked about, they're trying now to unwind these assets, and everybody is looking at them and saying, "Well, you know, well, I'm, I'm not going to pay you full value. I'm not going to pay you full full value of those. Who wants a a one percent ten year note? Right. What's up with well, that? Especially when you can get three and a half percent on a short term. And again, remember, we exactly. still have an inverted yield curve, which means you could buy short term securities, and they pay higher interest rate than the middle longer term ones do. Yeah. So, you can move your money into something shorter term. Meanwhile, the mutual funds start offering more and more money above the current rates, leaving investors to say, I've got deposits in my bank. They're getting negligible return. 
Mm-hmm. The bank itself is not proving to be anything sustainable in terms of providing me with any kind of growth faster than we understand the rate of inflation to be. I think I'm going to move my money into something that pays a higher yield. So the banks were so far behind the curve in recognizing investors were not going to sit there with 1% payment on checking and savings accounts when there were other even relatively safe investments available to them that paid higher yields. So as soon as there was a confidence problem in the bank, that was pretty much the straw that broke the camel's bank for the average investor. They said, okay, the yields were low to begin with. You know, I'm certainly not making any money. I'm losing to inflation, but I was happy because it was safe and secure. But now that the banks are not necessarily solid, well, geez, that was the whole pretense for me leaving that money in there in the exactly. first place. Yeah, exactly. If we're taking that off the table, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out of here. Now, would the, Time to do, do you know the... The, the P's and Q's of this uh, First Republic, uh, which happened, I guess, Monday, uh, was that the, uh, and that was, it's really the third largest or second largest failure in history. Ever. 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 Second largest. Yep. So they had that much, there must be more to it, Fred, than just Hundreds a, of billions in deposits in that bank. Because again, what they had done was they raised all this massive amount of capital because they were offering a higher yield for over a year more than the street was so everybody that was looking for a place to deposit money scoured the banks and said well what are you paying okay what are you paying oh but, these guys are paying but i don't understand more. that one. why would that make them vulnerable because the money's still in their bank so i'm kind of missing something well because they took the money and bought these treasuries that we oh talked i see about. the low interest treasuries right i got you. okay okay so and now you have another problem which is the bank's willingness to loan money so now that this problem has surfaced, the banks are getting very tight about they? who they will loan money to. Uh. So now they can't make a lot of profit loaning money out, and they're stuck with treasuries that are with low yields, and they're getting refunds in the terms of hundreds of billions of dollars instantly coming out of the banking institution. We don't often think about Jamie Dimon or even Jerome Powell as one of the good guys, but from the cheap seats here in the bleachers, it looks like they're trying to keep this thing from imploding and uh, Janet Yellen is on the other end, and she's just a wild lady, just spending everything she can get her hands on. I think there's yeah, some, she's some sort of fun stuck stuff in a going weird on. Position. Yeah. I, I think she probably regrets moving from the Federal Reserve yeah. over to the Treasury. Yeah, I, I think she's probably regretting that decision. <laughs> um, she yeah. came out yesterday and said that we're looking at a June first deadline for the debt ceiling, which was. Uh, a little sooner than I think Wall Street anticipated. That was also part of what pushed gold up because we're getting very close to a real critical point here where uh, most people are saying somewhere between June 1st and perhaps June 10th, when the government is so out of money, even with all the finagling that's been going on since January and February, they will not be able to manage their assets. And we're done. And politically, it looks like McCarthy and the boy, and even now Manchin, Manchin, Manchin guy, they may hold out and really want to get some rate cuts. Uh, and Brilliant, it, right? it doesn't look like Biden is going to, you know, so they could shut it down for a while. You know, they could. They could. So here's here's where we get to. We yeah. get to the point where everybody understands, and I don't think anybody's going to argue, we have to raise the debt of limit, course. right? Yeah. Everybody we, agrees we with that. Yeah. So politically now, the two powers look at this and say, well, here's an opportunity. I'll agree to raise the debt limit if you'll do X, Y, and Z. Right. And then the other party comes out and says, well, I'll agree to raise the debt limit, but I want L, M, and N. And if we can't agree, then we're lockstepped and nothing happens. And the closer we get to this, it's like playing a game of chicken. <clears throat> it's not a big deal when the cars are a mile apart. 
you're heading toward each other, but there's lots of time and lots of room for somebody to veer off. Then you get down to that half mile point and, you know, eyebrows start raising and you get within a few hundred yards of each other. You're at a critical problem now. Somebody has to give. And if they don't, my fear is, and my biggest concern about this whole debt limit nonsense is the credit rating agencies. They hold to me the key to this whole problem in that if they believe that we're not going to come to an agreement soon enough, they may lower the credit rating on the U.S. dollar worldwide. That would be absolutely well, devastating to the dollar. And well, you know, there's a lot of people, as you know, want to crash the dollar. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of people in that camp. <laughs> so sure. maybe this is part of the plan. I, you know, maybe this is what they want to do. Well, again, let's go back to this analogy. So 1907, they yep. come to JP Morgan and say, listen, we need a, a you know financial bailout. The banking system is imploding. Remember, these were the days before FDIC insurance existed. So the public was standing at absolute risk. Every dollar that people had wow. in their bank account. There was no insurance was at all. No insurance at None. all. Whoa. Wow. None. So if your bank failed, that was it. You didn't get any money back from a government insurance policy. The bank didn't make good on those uh, obligations. You were done. So this bailout in 07 was critical. But look what it led to. It led to the National Monetary Commission in 1910, which inevitably led to the Federal Reserve. So if we the want Federal to Reserve back in 1913. Forward, yeah, yeah. Correct. Right. Okay. All stemmed from the panic of 07, which led to the National Monetary Commission, where they said, okay, we don't want this to happen again. We need a system to put in place that will prevent this from happening. What gonna, can we do? We're going to save you. <laughs> and talk about your perfect Hegelian dialectic. Oh, baby. That's guess, a- who, guess who came forward with a wonderful plan to solve the problem? Uh, well, it was, you know, J. Nelson J. Morgan Aldridge. and Warburg and, and J.P. Morgan. Who else was at Jekyll Island? Nelson Aldrich, Nelson which Aldridge. was Rockefeller's maternal grandfather. So all those funds came together with this big plan and said, okay, we have a solution. And it. the public they- wants something. Yeah. You know, they're screaming for some help, just like you're hearing people now. You know, they want a result to come out of this uh, banking problem. They want to feel as if they're safe with the banks. I mean, you know, I grew up after the generation that grew up stuffing money under their mattresses. You know, I didn't live through that. Those were post-Depression babies right. who grew up in an era where the Depression wiped out people's wealth without any insurance from the government at that time. They were so suspicious of banks that there was a whole generation of people that didn't trust their savings in the bank accounts and literally stuffed money yeah. under their mattresses. So here we are in another generation that is now reliving something we went through 100 years ago. It's just basically, again, history repeating itself. The venue has not really changed. It's the same fundamental problem. Speculation, because of low interest rates existing for too long, lead to too cheap money floating around for too long. That leads to asset bubbles. And eventually it creates huge problems for the average American. And listen, is, is an average person sitting at home, going to work every day, dealing with their family and taking their kids to school, are they thinking about how the Federal Reserve is operating no, behind the scenes or how J.P. Morgan is going to come and bail out the banking system. So now it's Jamie Dimon is going to come out as the, you know, yeah, he's turning out to be a good guy in the situation because his actions did absolutely provide that sense of, okay, we're, this is not going to become something that's going to spread across all banks. We're going to isolate it and somebody standing there and they're putting money up very fast, hmm. right away. Hmm. And the government, FDIC, Treasury, and the Federal Reserve all agreed 
to insure deposits over the standard 250 in normal accounts just again to prevent people from thinking that this might be more widespread. I thought they already did that, didn't they? For the big banks, put it over 250, Fred? Didn't they do that just a few recently, weeks ago? I'm saying okay. this was part yeah. of this. Okay, that was part of the deal. Part of the deal. Yeah. With SV, the Silicon Valley thing. So look what it did, right? It, it kept this from becoming much more uh, systemic because, again, we've talked about this, how I have said I believe that we have moved into a new era where confidence is more relevant than fundamentals. Yeah. And look how quickly the confidence can be eroded. <laughs> when when things as stable as banks, you know, the, the old idea of you put your money in a bank, I mean, it is the single most right, secure right. thing you can do. When that becomes suspicious That's, to people, it gets weird, man. <laughs> it's a big problem. Yeah, you have your Jimmy Stewart moments, you know, it's like, oh. Yeah. Okay, oh, so okay. you wonder why gold prices are going up. Yeah, well, yeah. everybody is starting to look at this and saying, I think I should have some real sound money, yeah, baby. including the central banks around the world that have been unbelievably aggressive. And they've continued to accumulate. S Singapore Bank, for example, yeah. just this week, uh, purchased 17.3 tons, tons of gold. Really? Tons. Tons. That puts them at uh, 68.7 tons of gold in Q1 of 2023. Wow. So China has added uh, 17 tons. They're up to 68. I mean, each central bank worldwide has been accumulating more gold in the past three or four months than any time in world history. Is that right? That They the, know the something. The volume has yeah. been enormous. They know now, there have been a few sellers. Mm -hmm. You know, like Kazakhstan sold, you know, 10 tons. Uh, Turkey had to sell some of their private gold. Again, some of these countries are facing fiscal problems that require them to sell. But the overall weighs very, very heavily to the central banks acquiring more gold at a faster pace than ever before. The volume is enormous. And it leads me to believe they don't have a lot of faith in their own currencies. Well, that's what I was just going to say. In these countries, if their currency had any kind of juice to it, they could. They got central banks. They could create it and, you know, and monetize sure. debt just like all the other central banks do. But, you know, sometimes I guess their currency isn't strong enough where they can even do that. Huh? So they got to give up their gold. Well, everybody is facing an inflation problem. Uh, you know, mm. it's hard to keep an eye on this in America, but we are actually better than most other yeah. countries. Yeah. Europe has got a 10% inflation rate on their statistical data the way we do it. We're at seven, seven and a half uh, on the same number basis. Again, I think that's it's all probably, crap. It's probably twice in both in both cases. Oh, right? At least 50% more. But yeah. anyway, uh, you know, I would agree that the numbers are flawed. But even if we use the statistics that are acceptable to the average, you know, economic number guy, uh, <laughs> we're seven plus percent here in the U.S. They're at 10% in Europe. And it's worse in Asia and the third world countries. So at some points, they just run out of money. You know, they have nothing else. What assets can they sell? Right. Well, they start selling off their gold reserves. So what will, uh, uh, and it looks like there's going to be another rate hike today. It's afternoon, right? Quarter to half. I'm 90% sure we'll get another quarter another. point. What is that going to do? Does that affect, I guess it doesn't affect inflation at all, does it? Not really. Not really. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, the jobs numbers came out very, very low, which means that there's been some impact of slowing the economy down based on the Fed's actions. But here is the problem. The Fed waited too long to start raising rates in the first place, creating a huge, massive asset bubble. Now they've been raising rates for too long and they're going to go too far.
which creates the very likelihood of a strong U.S. economy going into a recession. So then the Fed will have to force this rate hike reversal and start lowering them again to try to phase out a slowing economy that they've created. So this volatility from moving up and down as interest rate lever is is ridiculous. The Fed needs to focus more on the stable value of the dollar, not trying to alter the economy by virtue of Fed action. It's a it's a process that isn't working. It only works when it's subtle. When it, you want to make a minor shift, you know, like a boat, if you want to shift a little bit from, you know, from the direction you're heading a couple of degrees, it's pretty easy to alter the rudder. But if you want to turn the boat 180 degrees when it's zooming at full speed, <laughs> it's impossible to do that. Right. And the Fed is basically trying to maintain a full employment, keep the dollar strong, keep the economy going. Uh, somebody made the analogy. It was like trying to hit two targets with one arrow. They can't do both things at the same time. And I don't think they're going to successfully pull this off. And I think the likelihood of recession is growing but one way or the other, the volatility we're getting in the in economy is all because the Fed has been way too late in reacting to the economy and using their big power tool, which is the interest rate lever, for too long in both directions. And now we're just you know, raising rates because the inflation is just persistent. It will not go away. It is a stubborn economic problem that persists no matter what the Fed has done. Inflation is not going down enough. It is, they're calling it deflationary in that, or disinflationary is the word they're using. In other words, the rate of inflation is slowing down, but it's still not going down fast enough. Boy, and you sure see that, speaking of words, the word de-dollarization a lot. I mean, somebody's flying that around, baby. Every every article, they they just... Well, it's easy to start to kind of like extrapolate and say, well... You know, is this all a pretense to something else? And something uh, bigger, you know, yeah, right? Yeah. People worried about things like, uh, you know, how it will impact the uh, digital currency idea, or whether or not there'll be something that takes over the dollar's reserve status around the world. Are these all pretenses to that? And it's really easy to speculate on those things. I don't think they have a lot of real strong foothold per se, but I could understand how people see these things as potentially being. You know, are we leading towards something else? Sure. Are we at 1907 points where, you know, the end result of that was a Federal Reserve Act? What's the end result of this? You know, what comes out what of are you all gonna this? Do? Yeah, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do now? <laughs> Pull some rabbits out of your head. Well, there's certainly a lot of juice for even Saudi Arabia. Iraq is off of the dollar standard after 20 years. They're 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 they got a whole thing going on now where they're pulling the dollar out and everybody's using a dinar in Iraq. After, after 25 years. I mean, they just don't want to mess with the dollar anymore. And it's going around a lot, you know, and then... Uh, it sure is. And, you know, as I've said, you know, these things will chip away a little bit, a little bit on the dollar status. But I think in the end, uh, it is so well established. And most of the countries that are significant enough to have an impact on the economy are still tied to us. But you uh, don't you still have China, Russia, Iran, India... I mean, that whole Belt and Road Initiative and the BRICS thing, that's pretty strong contingency of people that are up against the dollar, don't like the dollar. It is, but they don't account for as much as you would think in that world don't. economics. You know, again, China's currency resolves um, 3% of the transactions around the world that are done in Chinese yuan, 3%. Right. So, but th- that's what know, they want just, to increase, though. They want to try to, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Europe is pretty dollar Crazy, right? They're they're all in on the dollar, right? Europe, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, locked in. I mean, the euro has been um, an interesting advent, and they are still big supporters. Again, a lot of this ties back into the NATO agreements and the fact that we all are aligned with each other as allies against, you know, terrorism and, you know, even Russia when they act like they're acting. So all of those links together kind of sustain this whole idea of the U.S. dollar not fading away anytime soon, because I think it would also require an unwinding of both political and military obligations that we've all agreed to. I just don't see that happening anytime soon. But it's interesting to see that um, de-dollarization is becoming a subject. At least the people are thinking about this thing. Yeah. It's like, well, what's the problem? Yeah. You know, why yeah. would anybody want to move away from the dollar? What's wrong with the dollar? What's wrong with the dollar? Uh, if you have a question for Fred, uh, phone lines are having a bad hair day. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com as we're live here on May 3rd. Dallas Fed President Kaplan he says this regional bank crisis is far from over. So I kind of got the idea the regional bank crisis was more the big boys, Fred, were selling the stock short like they did yesterday. So is there issues with the regional banks also buying this treasury debt at low interest rates and they're, they're getting cattywampus as well? Uh, some of them, and also real estate transactions. Oh, that's they right, commercial real estate, yeah. Same problem they had in, 19, in 2008. 2008. the same thing over again, as if they'd <laughs> forgotten the lesson. Too heavily weighted in real estate without considering what happens to the value of these things when interest rates start going up and the real estate market slows down, which is inevitable in a rate hike environment. I mean, you know, it's a little more difficult to get banks to give you a mortgage now. And you're paying a lot more in interest rates than you were six months ago or a year ago. Right. So inevitably, that's going to have a problem. So what's happening is that, uh, like Jamie Dimon has benefited tremendously from this, his bank has gained tens of billions of dollars of new invested assets coming from people that were in the regional banks that are scratching their oh, heads they, saying, I don't know. If because they wanted to have more insurance as well. If they've got over 250 grand, they're going to get out of a regional bank, right? Plus, they're going to go to a bank that they feel is too big to fail. Too big to fail. You yeah. know, so if they're Andy that Andy used large, to talk about that. Remember, Andy used to say, people yeah. would ask him, where do I put my money in what bank? And Andy used to say, man, I'd go to the biggest bank they have because they're probably not going to bust. And they're was, never going to be let all out. <laughs> they're just not going to do so, it, right? Yeah. Right? So when people start getting suspicious of the regional banks, they move to the big guys. So yeah. the big guys are getting massive amounts of, uh -huh. of money coming to them. Their assets are exploding. And they're generating tremendous amounts of profit from all of this income of capital pouring into them as people become more suspicious. We never used to split that hair in the banking system between, oh, a regional bank right, and a right. national bank. Yeah. Or, you know, it was a bank. A bank was a bank was a bank. They're all safe and secure. Well, not so much anymore. So, but I've never seen a time ever where individual people are actually now asking their banks, yeah. you know, where are your assets? Where do you put my money as a deposit? So you know people I'm that are actually here, doing, you know? you know people that are actually asking their banks yeah. this? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty they're interesting. They're really, they're not happy with the answers they're getting. <laughs> uh, so, so no wonder uh, Jamie and his bank had a whole billions of dollars to do this uh, First Republic Bank thing uh, yesterday, right? Sure. They had a lot of money. They're not worried about it. Something I mean, around. first of all, there were assets in the bank. It wasn't oh, completely sure. devoid of sure. assets. They get all the depositors. They get all those new customers. Uh, they gather everything. They pay off whatever debt was, you know, was obligated to be dealt with, and they end up with everything else. Effectively, they buy this thing on sale. So it's a good know, deal I mean, for them, a, regardless, right? They wouldn't have done it. It's a great deal. Yeah, for they them. wouldn't have done you it. Know. Right. 
maybe not immediately, but over the long term, they're going to benefit tremendously from accumulating all of those assets that that bank held and all those customers, mm. certainly beneficial. And think about the influx of money uh, that they've gotten since this crisis started, as again, more people become a little leery of the smaller banks and begin to move their capital into what they believe to be safer, which are the larger institutions. So maybe we're going to see a, you know, a shifting of things to the point where you know, the regional banks start to become out of favor completely. That would be a real struggle for them if depositors start bailing on them left and right. And remember, we talked about this in the last show, how easy it is for somebody to move their money from one banking institution to another now. It's just a swipe on your phone or your laptop, and it's it's instantaneous. And at the same time, there's there's all kinds of movement, talk and speculation, and people getting antsy about Texas getting their own state bank and uh, South Dakota, North uh, South Dakota, because North Dakota has. So there may be a lot of that going on too, and that could be a good thing if they really get a good, solid state bank, right? And absolutely oh, a good man. thing, and oh, it man. would help a lot for the people in those uh, states and provide them with an alternative. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, something that was a little more localized, so they were not, let's say, tied into these national banking problems. You know, they could focus more on the local community and the local situation, which is a little bit easier to deal with. And I think I could understand how people because I've, I've seen, uh, excuse me, I've seen uh, um, some reports that like uh, University of Texas, which has mountains of gold and mountains of money, and they have it in J- Chase. They don't have it in a Texas bank, and this goes on all yep. the time. They could put that money right here. You know, they could, and uh, they sure, could. yeah. A lot of the banks had those uh, coffers that were like extremely well funded, yeah. and they they leave those uh, funds generally with the big banking institutions up in the Northeast. But they could definitely take control and have it. And local. also, when they do the bond issues, right? To, you know, four or five billion to do a whatever, they use the big banks. They don't use the Texas banks. What right. they could do, you know, and then keep absolutely it, keep it do. at home. And uh, here's an email from Rue. What what a great name, R U E. So in the subject line is, so what do we do with our money? Real estate, question mark, bad, question mark. Take it out of the banks, bad. (laughs) Take it out of the banks, question mark. So that's from Rue. What do you say, Mr. Well, here's the thing. Now, I've always been a fan of real estate for those people that own it. And, And the thing about real estate is most people don't own the property. They buy the money. So you have to consider where you are there. The effective value of real estate will probably continue to grow um, on the back of a paper dollar that's getting weaker. It's potentially going to cost more to buy the same home or piece of property as years progress forward because the value of money you're using to buy that property is being diminished. Now, having said that, real estate is subject to an interest rate cycle because at some points, if interest rates go up, uh, it's harder for people to get mortgages and then you may not have turnover of the real estate properties, and that could lead to prices drifting downward. So there is some speculation involved. I think people should be acquiring physical gold and silver coins in 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 aggressive mode now, because I think this dollar problem is going to get far worse moving forward, uh, because every time we see a new issue that comes up, as I've said before, these are so large now that each one is like a major financial crisis that requires a major Hmm. uh, intervention. You know, like every problem we have now is a 1907 size problem or a 2008 size problem. They're not minor little glitches anymore. They're huge. And everything upsets the apple cart. And again, I am really worried about the idea that the world, especially the U.S., 
the the idea of what we're working on is based upon people's confidence and i think that is shaky i've never seen a time before mm. where so many people are so uncertain about the banking institution the only other time i i, I saw this historically was during the great depression really so so people that you talk to and you you buy and sell gold silver gold and silver we're going to talk about that this morning um you're you're feeling that uh, shakiness or lack of confidence from people it's very large spreading quickly mm. and mm. the one thing about the current world we live in is how rapidly this information about silicon valley first republic how fast uh, this information has spread yeah and as people become aware of the fundamental problem uh, again it's 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 getting widely spread very quickly to very the point quickly. where yeah. a lot of people are questioning you know, they don't want to get caught after the fact and saying, oh, I heard about this. I probably should have moved my money and didn't. Yeah. Well, you, they, they hear these stories with the SBV thing and, and all that and people losing millions and famous movie star people losing millions. And these stories are out there, you know, and they They're say, no, there. man, I only got 50,000 and I don't want to lose it. Right. <laughs> Well, you know, First Republic, of course, not only did they encourage people with higher interest rates than the street, which left them with a problem of having to finance that, but they also made massive loans to very famous yeah. people. I think it was like Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg got a, yeah. you know, what, a one and a half billion dollar loan for 1% or something starting rate. So, you know, you play those games to encourage new investors. That's all well and good. But at some point, you know, the fundamentals have to catch up there or you have a problem. And you know, I, I, again, I say twofold. One, mostly, I'd say 80% of this problem we're experiencing is Federal Reserve's fault. Sure. Keeping rates too low for too long and raising them too far for too long. But the other part has to go on to the banks. They, they as you said, they should have known better well, to, to, keep, to keep interest rate payments that, you know, were higher than the street without any assets that you had underlying that would help grow the value of your deposits to where you could support that. You know, you really take it a risk there. Of course, I don't think anybody expected the massive withdrawals and how rapidly yeah, that, that would that happen. Yeah, that happened pretty quickly, didn't it? Ooh. Yeah. Wow. wow. And I don't, I don't remember any other time in U.S. history where so much money has come out of U.S. banks so rapidly. I can't, I can't find any time where that has happened. I, I think a lot has to do with Twitter. I mean, they're, their people are pouring into this platform, and Musk seems to be pretty cool right now. They're not censoring a lot of stuff, and. You put the right hashtags mm. in there, baby, and man, you reach—you can reach a lot of people really Very quick. quickly. Boom, like boom, you know, you know. So you got to. So there's no lag anymore, and no. as people find out that there's a problem, you know, people may not understand it enough, but they get that they sense. Oh, maybe there may be something wrong. Well, let's play it safe. Let's yeah. just get our money out of there sure. and, and not wait. Yeah. So, the expression "I want to get my money out of my bank." <laughs> I have heard that hundreds of times in the past few months. No just kidding. Really? So many people. That's, I um, want to get my money I'm out of the sure bank. I'm not sure what I want to do, but <laughs> I, I want to get my money out of my bank. What do you think I should put wow. it? How much should I, you know? And I want to get my money out of my bank. I'm not comfortable there anymore. I'm losing sleep over the idea that my money is in a financial institution that could implode tomorrow. And I keep telling people that I do believe fundamentally, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon notwithstanding, that the system is going to sustain itself, that we're not going to allow it to just go defunct overnight. And it seems to me we've set a precedent for covering deposits above 
<coughs> pardon me, Bless you. above FDIC insurance. Uh-huh. So um, I think everybody is safe for the moment, but I can understand the concern and I think it's something valid. So so these regional banks with 250K on the books, they're, would they still cover somebody that's got 300 if they go south? They don't have to. They don't have but to. But I think the precedent to. has been set and I think either the financial institutions behind them like the FDIC and mm-hmm. the Fed and the Treasury will make arrangements to be more diligent about covering those kinds of uh, deposits just to prevent people from, you know, yeah. panicking. Here's another email. Where is the speaker putting his money? <laughs> That's you. Where is the speaker? Must be a new listener. They don't know your name. Where is the speaker putting his money? This could be a softball to tell people what you do for a living. Is this where you well, put in your money? you know, I, I do what, <laughs> uh, what I do, but... You know, the way I do it, I could not recommend that anybody else does because this is what I do for a living. But, you know, where people would have 20% of their money in gold and silver coins and 80% in standard investments, I'm pretty much the other way. But <laughs> you go 80 20 I mean, the other way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just don't carry an awful lot of my investment capital long term in paper investments. I do some stock speculation and I do some real estate uh-huh. um, because again, you have to diversify and I think that makes perfect sense. And there's opportunities in markets and you have to have some liquidity. But, um, you know, again, the more I understand about money, then the more rapid I watch the loss in value, you know, the harder I work to earn a dollar, the less I want to see that dollar lose value before I get to spend it. Yeah. It's like, well, why did I work so hard to earn a buck if it's only going to buy me 50 cents worth of goods because I held it for five years and just didn't do anything with it? So, Hmm. you know, even my accountant beats me over the head once in a while and says, look, don't sit on large amounts of cash. You need to do something with your money and move it, do something that it earns interest. And that's difficult. So, you know, the standard uh, they used to give you that 60-40, which was 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That was supposed to be the standard. For a long time. They never accounted for physical wealth. But even the most conservative people now have said 5 to 10% in physical gold or silver. And again, I've been recommending 15% as a standard for a very long time until recently. The last couple of years, I have bumped that up to at least, I think, a minimum. 20% of people's assets should be in a physical, tangible form because, unfortunately, the balance of shifting of wealth is happening much more rapidly than it used to, which means that if you're storing too much money in paper, regardless of the interest you think you're getting, you're not ahead of inflation. You're losing money. Of course, it's not even paper anymore. It's just blips on a computer. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's even a little bit more uh, spicy. So, um, your your company is U.S. Coin Capital with an O, and uh, your number is 800-878-2646. You got some specials going on? What do you, we got going on today? Yeah, you know, I'm looking at your website we try to find yeah. some things that look really interesting, and yeah. uh, usually on a seasonal basis, I have something I can put together. So on the website at uscoincapital.com, I've got three specials now. Uh, one is exclusively silver. One is a mix of gold and silver. The other one is just gold. And then, of course, you can assemble all three together or any combination thereof. Mm -hmm. It's on the website at U.S. Coin Capital. It starts with a group of uh, peace silver dollars, which were really interesting. There was a design change. After 1878, we started producing the most common silver dollars in U.S. history were known as the Morgan silver dollar. Uh, George T. Morgan was designer at the U.S. Mint, created the uh, Liberty Head image and the American Eagle reverse design. 
and it lasted from 1878 right through 1921. Wow. And then in 1921, uh, the Treasury decided finally, as a kind of a celebration for the end of World War One, to recreate the silver dollar with a new what they called peace dollar design. And it featured a different version of the Liberty Head on the front and a different version of the American Eagle reverse. And they were minted from 1921 through 1935, and that's when the silver dollar production in the U.S. completely stopped. After that 1935 year, we did not mint a silver dollar. In fact, there were no dollar coins right? made until oh. 1971 when the Eisenhower uh, coins came out, but they did not contain silver. So the special we have are these peace dollars minted between 19, roughly 1922 to 1935. I was able to get a group of these in really high quality mint grade, MS-64. That's on a 1 to 70 scale, 60 or higher. 70 would be like flawless, right? Like perfect. Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. And they do not exist. They don't like exist. Like a perfect woman <laughs> they doesn't don't. exist. So, uh, you know, anything above a 65 or so is just effectively, you know, non-existent. But wow. a 64 is a very high quality mint condition coin. Each one of these has been individually graded by NGC. So NGC has certified each coin separately, guaranteeing both their authenticity and condition. Each one is sealed in an NGC holder. Uh, we packaged uh, 15 of those together for the first package. The second package includes the, the same 15-piece dollars. Plus two of the quarter uh, go eagle gold coins, uh, one of each type, the Indian head and the Liberty head, also in mint state 64, also individually graded. And then we have a third package that includes the two big coins, the 20s of each design, the St. Gaudens design and Liberty head design, also MS64, and the prices and all these are available right there on the website. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. Um, so tell new listeners viewers what what the component of the of the collector value of these coins going back you know 100 years and how does that end uh, how does that tie into the real value of silver content give us just a little idea how that works yeah so <clears throat> excuse me two things will move the value of coins up over time one is the fact that there is an intrinsic value of physical gold and silver that they're comprised of. So naturally, as the price of the base metal goes, does the price of the coin. Right. But secondly, there is a value that they carry as a coin and how available they are. So we go from the extreme coins that are worth tens of millions for a single coin, yeah. obviously so far removed from their metal content that the metal value is no longer even a variable. And then we get down to the ones that are just barely above the metal content that they're made of. And even those, the most simple coins like silver half dollars, quarters, and dimes, their value over melt has continued to increase this year rather dramatically. In fact, I spoke with a customer earlier today, back in January, February, had purchased silver half dollars that were running around $11 a coin, now are $16 a piece. And this is only about two and a half, three months later. But what's happened is not only has the price of silver jumped, but the premium value they carry is growing. And this is a function of what happens when you're dealing with something like coins where they can't make more of them. So unlike bullion products that are reproduced all the time and every one is identical to every other one, physical silver and gold coins minted by the United States Treasury that ended at a particular point in history, you know, think about that fixed supply. Mm -hmm. They're locked down. 
Oh, there's a beautiful picture of our specials. There's your specials, yeah, yeah. There you yeah, are. There's two of them. If you scroll down, you catch you the other ones. You can scroll down, you get your other ones. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, um, what happens is is that the value grows on these types of coins, both because of a supply and demand issue, and secondly because of the fact that the metal they're made of is also increasing in price. Uh, sometimes the premium value is part of what grows faster. Uh, which is, again, the big benefit of owning physical kinds of gold and silver coins as opposed to just generic um, silver or gold in bullion form, which, by the way, I don't think is a terrible idea. I think any physical form of gold and silver is far better than nothing. But between the forms of metals, gold and silver coins by the U.S. certainly reign supreme in the way that they appreciate in value over the years and provide uh, a better way for people to see growth. A plus for those that care about these sort of things, the government also views bullion, which are the products that are just merely the the weight of gold, like bars and bricks uh-huh. and coins. They view these things separately, and they do require us as dealers to provide a lot of personal information on bullion transactions, none of which are necessary when it comes to the U.S. coins. So there's a lot more financial privacy in coins. It doesn't require me getting a social security number from people when they sell it or providing a 1099B to IRS, which I have to do on bullion transactions. Big difference, right? Big difference. Yeah, plus the fact that they make me follow anti-money laundering rules on bullion transactions, I find personally annoying because it means I have to know my customer. And there have been issues where people have gotten in a lot of trouble because somebody bought gold bars and used illegal funds, and that was determined later the dealer that provided that gold and bought it from them was subject to money laundering problems because they facilitated in money laundering without their knowledge because they didn't, quote unquote, know their customer. (laughs) I don't want to play that game and have to figure out where your money has come from and whether that's from a legitimate resource. That's none of my business. It's not your business, right? So I like the coin market. It's private. And I love the idea of a fixed supply. So again, given this economic environment and all the uncertainty, all I can say is protecting your wealth with a percentage of your assets in physical gold and silver coins has never, ever made more sense than it does now. And a lot more people are putting this together. And this is part of the reason you're seeing this movement in the price of gold over $2,000 an ounce and silver, 25 bucks. Remember the low we saw in November, not that long ago, silver was $18.50. Now it's twenty five forty. Yeah, twenty five forty. So do that in percentages. And I think another aspect is, I mean, the whole world of podcasts, video podcasts is like, it's like exploding. Everybody and their brother has their own show now. I mean, when we came on in 2008 with, with Andy, right? We were, there was, there was, was like four people doing a podcast. You right. know? Now it's like everybody has a podcast. And, and that is both good and bad. It is. Uh, well, why? it's challenging for us because you know it's our sales have gone down because the competition's crazy i mean everybody well here's the thing competition is one thing but volume doesn't necessarily create competition volume creates an awful lot of crap too oh there's a lot of nonsense out there yeah so you know you've got to filter through so much stuff now i mean out of every 10 podcasts i listen to nine of them are worthless (laughs) because all they're doing is basically repeating other people's information over and over again that's all they do and here's the weird part you know we don't have too much time to get into this, but no, you know, the right. way these algorithms work, you know, if, if you start listening to a particular level of information from a podcast and what you're going to find is everything you start searching tends to come up supporting that same concept. That's right. So now you're ending up like the rabbit running down a hole 
and you never get out of it. So you're constantly bombarded by the same repeated information. And if it was false in pretense at the beginning, well, then everything you've listened to subsequent to that is just supporting that false pretense. It's like the AI, so, right? It's not intelligent. It's just it's just repeating whatever, whatever, whatever. And that's its job. So uh, my point being that although there may be a plethora of other podcasts out there, people really need to, as you say, quote, know the source. Know the source, right. And, and I, my point was that there are, though, some, well, a lot of people that are really understanding the whole fiat currency and and you know, in monetary system and gold and silver and real money, there are plenty of those out there. And I think that yep. is adding to the interest in gold as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's great yeah. because we've been pushing on this Mine for uh, about 20 years now. Your whole life. Right. You know, when we first started, nobody understood what the Federal Reserve Bank was, let alone knew who the Fed chairman was. There was no conversation no. about mm -hmm. that. No. Most people then were still under the uh, guise of thinking that the Federal Reserve was a government agency and didn't understand the functions of it or how it affected interest rates or a dollar or how it impacted people's lives. But even that type of information is much more available and widespread than it used to be to the point where, you know, people are not like uh, completely taken aback by the fact we talk about the Federal Reserve. They know what we're talking about. Yeah. 20 yeah. years ago, people, well, what's the Federal Reserve? I don't, what is that? You know, I don't understand. I don't know anything about that. Never heard of And more people know that do. the Federal Reserve is no more federal than Federal Express, but that's another story. Correct. <laughs> uh, here's another email for you. Is it safe to uh, store your coins in your home good question that's a good one that's a good one well there are basically a couple of options so storage of gold and silver coins is essential to protecting your wealth and like having large amounts of cash you need to do it you know with a little bit of smarts you don't want to leave it lying around on a kitchen table where anybody who can just wander in can pick up on the idea that there's cash available for them to steal so if you do have it in a home i always recommend a safe that is bolted to a floor somewhere, hidden in a wall, something that's not easily accessible not go and hopefully yeah. functions to the point where a thief breaking in, you know, can't grab the safe itself. And, you know, if you have a small little, house, right? yeah, because yeah, that's, that's its own problem. They can't get into it immediately, but if they steal the whole safe, well, they can take as much time as they want to, to get into it. Um, other than that, the most common thing people do, believe it or not, is a safety deposit box in a credit union or a bank. Because even with all the bank problems, um, many people don't know this, but a safety deposit box is not part of the bank's assets. Right, yeah. So right. when a bank fails, it does not impact anything in a safety deposit box. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, good. So good. they're not insured, right? but they're also not part of the bank's assets. So let's say you had a, a safety deposit box at uh, Silicon Valley, and they've gone defunct you're still going to be able to walk in there physically and remove things within your safe deposit box. And if a receivership is instituted against the bank, they can't count assets in they the cannot. safe deposit box as well, part of the bank's wealth. So unless Tom Cruise comes down on a wire and you know and blows up in a safety deposit box, you're probably pretty good. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> the idea being it's a little harder to steal from a bank than your home. Right, so right. the short answer is, yeah, it's okay to keep uh, gold and silver coins in your home. Uh, but again, apply a little bit of, uh, you know, basic common sense and make sure it's well protected, hidden or in some form of a safe that is not, you know, readily accessible to a, a miscreant. And I would add, be be careful of who you tell people that you have these. Don't tell anybody. You don't need to tell anybody, right? You just no. don't. I mean, unless there are people that need to know. Other right. than that, keep it quiet. I, you know, I'll have to tell you my experience in all the years I've been involved in this. Whenever there has been any kind of theft 
it has been and in, I'd say, 80% of the cases, somebody, somebody that, that they knew. Somebody that knew they were there, right? Yeah. I it's guess, very random that somebody just breaks into a home and steals somebody's coins. I guess it's if you had a real stash and you wanted to just hang on for 10 years or something, you could also bury them in the backyard and who would know, right? Sure. Who would know? Just do it in the middle of the night. Nobody would, who would know. know. Who would know? We had a, we, years ago, we had a client that did that. She was an elderly woman. She <laughs> lived on a very large piece of property, and she didn't know that there were copper lines running through her land. Copper lines. So, what do you mean copper yeah, lines? Yeah, it just turned out that her county had run copper lines you know, to for for uh, telecommunication uh. purposes, and it ran across her property, crisscrossed all over. So at some point, she just forgot where she had buried her gold and silver. So she bought herself a metal detector and went walking around her property <laughs> trying to figure out where it was. And it kept going off because it kept hitting where the copper lines were. So she's digging holes in her property for a year <laughs> trying to find her coins. You're supposed um, to do a little map did. like they do in the movies. You got to well, do a little map. You, know, you got to hide the map. <laughs> <laughs> then you got to have the map. Let's see. Here's a question. Um, no name. I have trouble selling numismatics easily. Are they just for super rare collectors? Why would you have trouble selling numismatics? Can't you walk into any coin store or call you and sell them, right? Well, depending on what kind of numismatics you have. I mean, there are a lot of rare coins that are going to be more limited in the market. Obviously, if you have a, you know, very valuable rare coin, uh, every local dealer may not have the wherewithal. Maybe that's what they're talking about. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So other than that, it shouldn't be a problem, Um, you know, unless you're going to the wrong type of people. Like if you go into a pawn shop or something like that, that's not appropriate to try to sell numismatic coins. You want to go to a professional numismatic coin dealer. But, you know, anybody that has any real high value collectible, um, you know, there's always that balance point between liquidity and and price. So um, a, a local dealer who doesn't deal in anything valuable, who's presented with a twenty-five or $30,000 coin, he may not have the money to buy it. Of so he's going to be looking to sell it to, let's say, another dealer. Now, that dealer that he might go to would only pay, let's say, a wholesale value uh, for that coin, which is perfectly appropriate. But if that dealer is going to pay wholesale to the guy that you that this person has walked into, that guy that you've walked to can't pay the wholesale value, otherwise he doesn't make any money. Mm-hmm. So now he's going to try to buy it for less than wholesale. So there's definitely a situation there where timing how to sell them properly, you know, whether it means going to a proper auction or going to the right kind of dealer. Um, it's certainly something to consider. But the longer that you hold a good quality rare coin, the less that becomes a problem. Um, but again, I can understand how that in, in certain instances could be a little more challenging. But anybody who's selling generic gold coins, like a standard, you know, $10, $20 gold coin or silver dollars or junk silver. I don't understand how they could possibly have any problem these days. There's so many people out there buying this oh, stuff buying and, selling, and, yeah. and aggressively buying. Uh, another one for you. Uh, short and sweet. Silver or gold better, they they write. Uh, silver or gold uh, Great better. question. Yeah. Um, you know, here's the thing. There's no wrong answer here. Silver, percentage-wise, probably will move more quickly simply because mathematically it's a $25 item versus a $2,000 item for gold. So for silver to move 10%, it only needs to move $2.50. That means you're looking at $27 or $28 silver from today's price. Uh, For gold to move that same 10%, it has to move $200 an ounce. That would put it at $2,200. Not out of the realm of possibility, but it would seem to me that it's probably likely Silver might move a little more quickly in the shorter term than gold. But again, in the reverse, gold can be more stable. 
The silver could also drop $2 an ounce very quickly, and that means it could lose 8 or 10% of its market price more rapidly than gold, not likely to drop $200 in any short period of time. So, um, again, that's why I say there's no wrong answer here. But if you're looking, you know, shorter term, uh, for just by chance, I would say the likelihood is that silver would probably go up a little more quickly. I like mixing them up. Uh, most of the portfolios I build for my customers include both gold and silver just for that reason. But then again, you know, gold has been remarkable this year and the premiums on American gold coins have really jumped this year. So it's turned out to be uh, a very close horse race. Mm -hmm. It's not as if one's going to go up and the other isn't. So the short, the short answer is there's no wrong answer here. Uh, Billy says, I heard Fred in previous shows talk about currency silver, the dimes, quarters, halves, and silver dollars. Uh, what's coin the silver. coin silver? Coin, is that what you call them? Coin silver? Yeah. Coin silver. What's the? Uh, he wants to know what the minimum is they want to buy from you. Minimum. Oh, about a thousand dollars. A thousand bucks. Okay. Um, also, oh, I think that's the only. That's I think we've got all the emails so far. Before we go, uh, before we go, if you no have no phones a, yet for you though, huh? What's that? No, no. I mean, it's nope. still, it's still, it's been six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. Wow. So I, I figured out how I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to call them today and say, I don't want to pay for the last six weeks. And you watch. They'll be out here in no time. <laughs> I, I just got that. I just got that today. I mean, I just, Using not, money as leverage. What I'm not, I that's right. I'm not paying it. I'm just, I'm just not paying it. This is what I'm not doing. Uh, let's see. I'm well, looking. for all the listeners, check out the website and the specials. I think they're really great. Oh, yeah. And I think people will enjoy those. And I think it's a great way for new people to get started because there's a variety of price structures there that are flexible for people. Um, but I, again, for the outset of what's happening economically, um, I just think that this is a great time for people to own a lot of physical wealth in their portfolios. And nothing, nothing does better than, than American gold and silver coins. And you can't make predictions, and we're not financial advisors or any of that. But I mean, I just, can make them; they just may not turn out to be yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> just that's a problem. Uh, what Andy used to say: uh, uh, making predictions is difficult, especially when it involves the future. That's what he used to Doing say. It, yeah. Predictions are easy, except for the future. <laughs> except yeah. for the future, yeah. But I mean, if you just look at the big picture, as we talk about here, and other people that we have on the show, folks, you know, the likelihood of gold bombing really down a long way from 2000, in my opinion, just my opinion, is not very strong. No, I, th I think we've yeah. moved to a new trading level. It you know, feels I think like we'll it. probably see it dip into the 1900s again. That seems pretty realistic, but uh, it definitely seems like we've had a shift. You know, where the low was 1650, now it looks like the low is going to be around 1950. And, you know, we're looking at a new trading range that puts the higher end closer to 22,300. Um, Again, I've got good expectations for gold to sustain current prices or grow and the premiums to keep increasing on gold and silver coins going forward from here. Again, especially as we get closer to this um, debt ceiling problem, if we continue to play chicken and don't resolve it. And then again, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon kind of changed his mind, I guess, yesterday or day before. Yeah. He seemed to think that the bulk of the fiscal problem within the banking system was resolved. Uh, and he was the one who had said he didn't think it was over two weeks ago. So I think he's feeling better about the overall environment. Now, there's nobody that I can think of that has more knowledge because he has more information than a guy like Jamie Dimon. So I, I put more credence into his opinion than I do a lot of others, even though he is one of the bankers and been he's on that side of the yeah, been around But he does have access to information that you and I don't get. 
And with his knowledge, if he's feeling a little more confident that the broad problem with the banking system is stable, I, I, I kind of accept that notion. Remember the great uh, clip, and they actually used it in the movie Too Big to Fail, where they had Paulson, right? The banking system is solid. Remember that that great right. line, you know? And that was right before the whole thing blew up and they needed to get a, what, $750 billion from from. From who's somewhere? I don't know where they come from. Nine hundred, yeah. 900. Was it nine hundred billion? So, yeah. So remember the two thousand and eight crisis, which was a very large national systemic banking problem. It, yes, it incorporated was. the entire economic environment, and everything within the banking system was subject to this impending problem. Was resolved with less than a billion dollars. Trillion, a trillion. No, with less than a trillion. Okay. Sorry, okay. a trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So 980 billion resolved that problem. So think about how much money they spent on these last few banking crises, just on these banks. You know, again, my point being, as I've said before, the sizes of the problems are growing exponentially and becoming much more difficult to deal with. So anything could upset the apple cart at a moment's notice. And uh, I'd rather be, uh, you know, as we used to say, a year early than a day late in accumulating gold and silver coins. Boy, you tell you talk about headlines. I mean, more and more CBDC, central bank digital currencies. They're just running this up the flagpole, Fred. Every chance they yep. get. Here's a Christina Georgina. She's managing director of the International Monetary Fund. They're warning that the world is heading toward a widespread adoption of central bank digital currencies, which they want, without properly considering the risk factors involved. So, these are the people promoting. CBC, you know, and now they come out sure. with these stories saying, well, I don't know, maybe they're not so good. They, they, they know what they're doing, man. You know, they don't, there's no accidents with these kind of stories. No, it'll be interesting to follow that as it, as it evolves. Again, that's a, both a technology issue and also there's obviously a lot to discuss there when it comes to how does that change the people's lives? And, right. you know, we talked about the advent of, if we ever did have a complete revision to an entire digital world, you know, the, the privacy is out the window and then we have social engineering issues to deal with. And Lots boy, it's going to create a whole Orwellian theme of things we'll have to talk about. But last, time we'll we talk with, last time we talked with Luongo, he, he, he was very sure, well, in his opinion, was that Jerome Powell is totally against any kind of digital currency. He's not on board with this I think type. a number of the it's Fed interesting. people are. Wow. It is interesting. And, yeah. and I think they understand First yeah. of all, the logistical problem, but anyway, uh, a <laughs> lot, lot to unpack there. Yeah, with 30, I don't know how many trillion, if you're on a game show, how many dollars do you think is out there? What, 40 trillion? I don't know. What would be the money supply, if you had to guess? Yeah, I'd say you're probably in the ballpark. How could you even do anything crazy yeah, in, in transferring dollars and digits? And It'll take time. You oh, know, it'll man. be a transition that'll have to occur, and there'll be an awful lot of education that'll be required to get people to understand what's happening. Yeah. And then you have to start changing the structure of everything in the way the world works, how payments are transferred, how money debt that already exists is going to be paid for, how payments are going to move between countries if we're not going to be dealing with U.S. dollars anymore in its paper form. You know, what's the function of the Treasury going to be at that point? I mean, it it is structurally going to be an enormous logistical change to get this yes, accomplished. And it's certainly not something that's going to happen overnight. Here's a fun one before we go. I keep saying before we go, this is from Stanley. I'm thinking... $100 bills in a safe is even better than anything. How long 
would they be good if they do something digitally, Fred? So that is an interesting question. I mean, you just can't, or can you just say, okay, the $100 bill after next Tuesday, it's no good. You can't do that, can you? See, that's the thing. I can't can't imagine that would work, right? Right. So there would have to be a time frame that would be established. And I think what would happen is they would just make a conversion automatically for anything that's in the bank and force the people that have been holding money outside the banks to deposit them within the bank. Are there any rules of saying how long they would have to give you, Fred? Are there any rules? No. None of this exists yet. This is all, you know, we don't have this yet. So this is part of what I'm saying is this logistics that has to be created. There's an awful lot to figure out here. Yeah. Okay. All right, kiddo. Uh, Go to U.S. Coin Capital with an O dot com and look at the specials. And also, we we need to... uh, emphasize that you don't have to do a special or anything like that. If you just want to buy one coin or whatever, call Fred, right? Absolutely. Yeah, just call him. Yeah, Triple, tri- uh, 800-878-2646. All right, say hi to staff and, and friends, and we will see you next month, Fred. Great to see you, Patrick. Yeah. Be well. Right, you too. Right when you get work, will you? Just give me give me a buzz. <laughs> see you soon. Fred Doshevsky, Patrick Timpone, and the real world of money with Fred Doshevsky. So, yeah, his number is 800-872-646. Now, I've known Fred for a long time. Many moons come Choctaw. I think uh, early uh, 90s when I first met Andrew Goss and Fred Dashevsky. And uh, he's just a good guy and he's honest and he's not going to try to sell you something that you don't want. They just don't do that. So don't buy something from a guy with a with a hairpiece on uh, late night television when you're watching uh, my cat from my my cat from hell or whatever. Uh, don't buy coins from these people. Yeah. Call Fred and uh, talk to some people that you can trust. 800-878-2646. All right, we're going to take a little break, about 12 minutes. Be back at 1130. And we're going to talk about a lot of fun stuff right here on OneRadioNetwork.com. So stay right there. Uh, just going to do a few little personal things and we'll be back even before 1130. We're going to talk about some things. So thanks for being here. I love you all, guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks to Fred. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.